Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Whether it is forecasting an epic flood event days before the raindrop or warning the public about an upcoming blizzard, when it comes to tracking storms, the meteorologists at the Weather Prediction Center play a critical role in keeping Americans safe from the dangers of weather. This week, meet the man in charge of directing this critical group of forecasters at NOAA. Dr. Dave Novak joins me to discuss Weather Prediction Center operations, forecasting challenges, and what the future might look like. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and Dr. Dave Novak, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It is great to be here. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to get you on Weather Geeks for some time, and so I'm really happy that we can get you on the podcast because this really gives us a chance to take a deep dive into what NOAA's Weather Prediction Center is all about. So uh, let's start with just sort of some 101 that you and I know, but our listeners may not know. Tell us how Weather Prediction Center, or WPC, fits into the overall National Weather Service and how it compares to other centers. Yeah, absolutely. So the Weather Prediction Center is the nation's premier center for forecasting rainstorms, snow and ice storms, and relaying the big picture national weather story. Uh, we, we have this team of expert meteorologists that are focused day in and day out on these, on these hazards. And we cover the country from Puerto Rico to the mainland to Alaska and even Hawaii uh, with this mission to enable national readiness for hazardous weather events. Um, some of our products, such as the National Forecast Chart, are emailed to over 40,000 email ad- addresses a day. These are uh, decision makers in the federal government, uh, emergency management at the state level, and even your, your local emergency management. So they're getting this syn- uh, synthesis of the, of the national picture uh, from the Weather Prediction Center. Uh, now, in terms of how this information is used within the Weather Service, I, I would almost say we're the glue of the National Weather Service. We, we play a key role in collaborating directly with the distributed network of 122 local weather forecast offices uh, across the nation, and particularly on these hazards of rainfall uh, and, and winter weather. Uh, and this is to ensure the most accurate forecast, as well as a consistent message that decision makers are getting from the National Weather Service. Um, just, you know, just one point here. So, you know, if you're at a local forecast office and you're in the forecast seat, it's two o'clock in the morning, uh, you're making a tough decision on a winter storm watch or a flood watch, WPC's there to talk through the meteorology and, and kind of think through the, the problem with the, with the local forecaster. Uh, and so all, all of this is supported by rigorous science and uh, new innovation as well, which we'll, we'll probably speak about. And so one of the things that, um, you know, many, I think, listeners are aware of are places like the National Hurricane Center or the Storm Prediction Center. Uh, I think there may, I think people in the weather circle are certainly familiar with WPC, but I think the public may not be as familiar with WPC. How do you play along with your, I would say, sister uh, centers there within NOAA, like SPC, National Hurricane Center? How are you different and how are you the same? 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in some of these phenomena, such as, you know, rainfall and, and winter storms, we're, uh, you know, just as the National Hurricane Center is, you know, monitoring the, the hurricanes, we're monitoring these heavy rainfall events uh, across the nation. So there, there is an analogy there. Uh, but as you said, you know, I think in the past we've been a little behind the scenes, kind of the the, the core meteorology uh, group behind the scenes. But I think in these hazards, we're uh, becoming a little bit more public, particularly in working with our national emergency management community on the rainfall and winter weather hazards. Um, one, one important point, we are the backup to the National Hurricane Center. Uh, and we take that obviously very seriously. Um, you know, if the Hurricane Center, for whatever reason, went down, the Weather Prediction Center, along with our colleagues at the Ocean Prediction Center uh, and others, will, will take up the helm to ensure that the, the, the forecast doesn't, doesn't miss a beat. I, I should also mention that there's this intense collaboration amongst NHC, SBC, Weather Prediction Center, as well as the local forecast offices. We really are a national team working together to have that very best forecast and most consistent uh, message uh, to help decision makers. So it really is a team effort. Has that ever happened under your watch as the director where you were actually having to serve in that backup role to the Hurricane Center? Well, we came close during uh, Hurricane Irma. Uh, we, we did make arrangements uh, to ensure that uh, we wouldn't miss a beat if, uh, if Irma was a little bit closer to Miami. Uh, fortunately, uh, that was not the case. They were able to continue their operations uh, with Hurricane Irma, but we were, we were right there at the ready uh, to, uh, to provide the forecast if it, if it uh, did come to that. So, um, yeah, we take that, that uh, mission and aspect uh, very seriously. Now, just in, in normal hurricane operations, the, the Weather Prediction Center is responsible for the rainfall, uh, particularly the rainfall statement that you see with these, with these systems. Um, our meteorologists working with the meteorologists at River Forecast Centers and the Weather Forecast Offices uh, work together on, on that statement. Um, a nice example of this is Hurricane Harvey. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud that the Weather Service working together, we, we had a statement that used the strong language of catastrophic uh, and, and a rainfall forecast over 40 inches uh, before Hurricane Harvey made landfall. Yes. Um, so, you know, we worked together on these rainfall hazards and uh, WPC is right at the center of that in terms of um, the rainfall hazard of, of tropical storms, hurricanes, but also uh, the extreme rainfall events we've been seeing across the country uh, these past several weeks. So we're really right at the heart of that and working together with uh, with our partners at the national, local, and regional levels. Yeah, I want to I kind of stay right there with the Harvey that you mentioned, Dave, because you're right. I mean, if you go and look at the sort of forecasts that were coming out of WPC and what you were saying, uh, it was clear that this was going to be an anomaly rainfall event in Harvey. And I and I, I see that time and time again with many of the products that you're putting out. I mean, what are your thoughts, though, as someone that's sitting there as the director of the WPC, knowing that you have put out the information that people can make decisions upon, and yet there are people that still maybe aren't getting that message because they say, oh, well, we get floods all the time in Houston or wherever they may be, um, or, oh, they're, they're just overblowing it a little bit. I'm just interested in your thoughts. How, how do we combat that? Because the science is good enough that we, we saw that coming. You guys nailed it. But how, how do we combat that sort of how people uh, you know, receive that information? 
Yeah. Uh, well, one one of the items, and I think even as meteorologists, we we were a little uh, a little bit in disbelief with uh, what the what the models were showing. Uh, so I have to give credit to the to the numerical weather prediction. But the the forecasters um, really did work together to say, you know what, this one really is different. We do have the confidence in these numbers. And we responsibly ramped up those numbers. Uh, you know, at, at one point, we were forecasting 50, 50, five zero inches of rainfall. And, you know, as a, as a meteorologist, you're kind of in, um, uh, you know, what, is, what exactly does that mean? And, and so that, that was a lot of our collaboration in terms of the, the rainfall statement. Uh, I'll just read it here. It said, uh, this was Friday, August 25th, 11 uh, 11 a.m., so right before landfall, saying rainfall of this magnitude will cause catastrophic and life-threatening flooding. So some key words in there, will cause catastrophic and life-threatening flooding. So, um, you know, we worked together as a team. We kind of held hands, <laughs> held our breath. Uh, you know, <laughs> we are believing the models. The meteorology tells us this is going to happen. And now we have to jump up and down and do everything we can to ensure that decision makers on the ground know it. Uh, they can amplify this message for, for the general public to ensure that uh, folks are taking uh, evacuations seriously and other pro, uh, you know proactive mitigating efforts uh, seriously as well. Uh, so... You know, and we kept that message. So I think I think one of the aspects, just to answer your question, then, is we used strong language, and we did so consistently. So WPC was saying the same thing that the state was saying, that the local forecast office was saying, that the local emergency management was saying. We had this consistent message. The media was saying uh, this this same message as well, and our industry partners were saying the same message. So as an enterprise, I feel like the enterprise really amplified the National Weather Service's message to ensure that no one uh, was surprised by this uh, incredible event. Um, in, in a lot of ways, we knew a big event was going to happen and, and uh, uh, you know, jumped up and down to the degree we could uh, to ensure that uh, folks, folks knew it. Yeah, I want to kind of follow up on something you mentioned about models, because out there in the Twitter, sp- Twitter sphere, social media and whatnot, there's always this debate about the models, the American model, the European model this model, that model. And I, I think some of that discussion, frankly, gets a little overblown. I, I think we know what the statistics say about the various models, but I think they're both world-class models. How do you all at WPC, uh, how do you use the models? I, I know, you, of course, you use the American GFS model, but I know you're looking at European and other models as well. So what's your process for synthesizing model information to make the forecast? Very important point that a forecaster doesn't look at just one model. We don't just look at the American model or the European or the Canadian. It's a synthesis of all the various uh, model guidance that we have. Uh, we, we do work internationally with, with our partners. Um, there are over 100 individual uh, solutions that are uh, coming into the Weather Prediction Center uh, every single day. And so it's this combination of, of the model information and then sophisticated post-processing, processing that information in a way that a, a human can kind of separate the signal from the noise of that, of that information. And also the expertise of the human forecaster in understanding the biases and strengths and weaknesses of these different modeling systems. So 
it's certainly not just one model. It's a combination of the variety of uh, models, the variety of post-processing of showing us signals versus what's not a signal, and then that human expertise uh, applying that into the official forecast. So I do think it's important to really understand the difference between a single model solution and the official National Weather Service forecast as a synthesized uh, analysis of all the information possible. So that, that really is an important point. Uh, you know, the, the, you have human forecasters 24-7 analyzing this information and coming up with the very best forecast uh, that we can with all this information. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm talking with Dr. Dave Novak. Uh, he is the director of NOAA's Weather Prediction Center, one of the premier forecasting centers in the world and a part of the National Weather Service. And I want to pivot the discussion now, Dave. I mean, you, you don't take a break. You don't get summers off like some people. So in terms of each season, are there particular challenges, forecast challenges that WPC, for example, we're in summer now. What, what would you say is the, the most challenging aspect of forecasting in the summer versus spring, winter, or fall? Well, it's true. We don't get a break. But I tell you what, we love it. We love every season and all the different uh, challenges that we have. Um, you know, we're, we're in the summer season, and I have to say the extreme rainfall challenge is, 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 is a huge challenge. I, I do want to expand on that, but the other challenge is winter storms. Um, so if we, if we go to the winter storms here first, you know, such a minor change in the meteorology and the, in the weather here can have dramatic impacts on the amount of snow, whether it's snow or ice or rain. And obviously those small differences can have a huge impact on, uh, on, on actually the impacts of an event. Uh, so, so that is challenging uh, in, in winter storms, no question. Uh, we are getting better, but the expectations are tremendous uh, and growing. And so we're applying the very best science and, as well as our communication science to uh, provide this, this decision uh, information for, for key decision makers. T turning back to the summer challenge, uh, extreme rainfall is very challenging to get the details right. I, I recently came across a statistic that the, the average error of forecasting a thunderstorm complex for the next day is about 100 miles. Wow. A hundred miles. Wow. So, you know, to, to the details of understanding this kind of small scale feature of a, of a thunderstorm dropping copious amounts of rain, um, the, the, we don't have that specificity uh, with too much lead time. Uh, in a lot of events, we'll know several days in advance that uh, a major event or an extreme event uh, is, is possible or even likely 
But again, getting to exactly what community will be affected and what won't be affected, what community won't be affected, is a real challenge for the entire, uh, entire weather enterprise. And so I was going to mention, you know, in terms of rainfall and this extreme rainfall challenge, you know, we do have this product suite that recognizes this challenge. Um, so as, you know, as I was mentioning, you know, the skill varies by scale. So hurricanes generally for rainfall are a pretty good, uh, we do pretty well with the, the rainfall of hurricanes. We, we have improvements to make. It's dependent on track and, and uh, speed of the system. They're not perfect. But again, these isolated summer storms, uh, which are smaller in scale, uh, not very good. Um, we generally have much better skill at nearer time ranges. Um, and so our product suite is this cascade of products that gradually ramp up the urgency as our confidence increases and the details become clear. The, uh, the first product that we have all the way out seven days in advance is just our, our quantitative precipitation forecast. So this is a, it, it, it is a just generalized uh, picture of our rainfall amounts across the country. Uh, we do provide this out to seven days. Uh, at, at day seven, we're not going to get too specific of of the uh, you know of these extreme rainfall amounts, but we'll kind of outline uh, you know perhaps a, a state that that's at risk. Where we really do get serious is about three days out. We have a, a product called the Excessive Rainfall Outlook. So this is a, a synthesized, meant as a heads up to the emergency management community that conditions are ripe for these extreme rainfall events. Uh, it's analogous to the Storm Prediction Center convective outlook for severe local storms. So many of your listeners, I think, will relate to the convective outlook of SBC. Uh, this is the, the rainfall outlook of uh, the Weather Prediction Center. Right. Uh, and this can help inform uh, flash flood or flood watches. Uh, and th those generally go up, uh, you know, about a day in advance. So this is, again, raising the urgency as we get closer and more sure of these events. Then we finally have uh, what's a, a new product called the Mesoscale Precipitation Discussions. These are generally issued about six hours in advance. Uh, some of your listeners might be familiar with the SPC Mesoscale Convective Discussion. This is Mesoscale Precipitation Discussions. But similar idea, we get more specific about what specific areas of a state are really at risk in the next one to six hours. And this helps inform the local warnings. This is really a, a trigger to the local WFO uh, to be really on the awareness, watching the cells that are developing. And of course, when they issue the, pull the trigger on the warning, that is the time uh, to, to act. Um, so again, there's, because of this predictability challenge, of the of the extreme rainfall, we have this this ramp up of urgency, from outlooks to watches to these mesoscale precipitation discussions to the warnings that are kind of a ready set act approach to to warning you of a hazard. Now, and so who, it, who are your it, customers? it really is connected. And you and they're connected. But who are your customers for these products? And are they? essentially more deterministic or probabilistic. And, and what I mean by customers is what you put out at WPC, are you trying to reach the public? Are you trying to reach emergency managers? Are you trying to reach forecast offices or all of the above? Yeah, I think in, in a large degree, uh, all those uh, user groups, including industry, uh, use these uh, weather prediction products. Uh, 
the quantitative precipitation forecast is perhaps the the most uh, common uh, product. Uh, some some general public uh, may may be familiar with that. Uh, our national forecast chart, as well as is a little bit more public. Uh, as uh, so, so those are kind of more generalized public uh, information. Um, the rest of the suite, you know, in terms of outlooks, these mesoscale precipitation discussions, I think it's both for our really core partners in the emergency management community. We work with them to help them understand the what these products are and are not. Uh, they're for other meteorologists, uh, both within the Weather Service and in the weather enterprise in general. Uh, and, and so it, it varies in terms of the particular product of, of what the key audience is. Um, but... But these products really do help inform uh, the local WFO's approach to watches and ultimately those flash flood warnings for these ex- extreme rainfall events. Yeah. So, so it is a combination. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I think largely the QPF, National Forecast Chart, are more public. These excessive rainfall looks, mesoscale precipitation discussions are perhaps towards a little bit more sophisticated meteorological uh, audience. Yeah. Uh, and I want to... And, 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 and emergency management audience uh, uh, growing more so uh, as we move into in, into uh, helping those decisions be made. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, a core core group for many of our uh, meteorological data sets and, and information. Yeah. The, the other aspect you asked was deterministic, probabilistic. I mean, as you know, it's it's been uh, quite an adventure the last several decades uh, in terms of the weather enterprise's uh, view on deterministic information and, and probabilistic information. I, I really think the Weather Prediction Center, we're trying to aspire to help lead uh, this evolution towards uh, probabilistic information, helping to inform decisions. I think we've come to to understand that deterministic or single-valued uh, forecasting information is extremely valuable and extremely important, and I frankly don't see that going away anytime soon. But at the same time, we do have uh, a variety of probabilistic information, uh, both for winter storms as well as uh, for rainfall, that can help provide alternative scenarios. So we can provide the most likely scenario, but perhaps a reasonable worst-case scenario to help bound uh, the forecast. Uh, that product I was mentioning, the, the excessive rainfall outlook, uh, that's probabilistic in definition. So um, a 50% chance of, of an impactful rainfall event uh, is a high risk. Now, the public or emergency management or a local WFO, they don't necessarily need to know that that's the exact number, 50%, but it is calibrated at that number. So when when the Weather Prediction Center goes high risk with our excessive rainfall outlook, there is a probabilistic science underlying uh, that that term and that, and that trigger. Um, so, so you know, it's an evolution. I think we absolutely respect, uh, you know, as humans, I'm, I'm human too. I, I, I like, uh, I like to just, just know and give me an answer. But oftentimes, we, we will do that. But we will also try to provide our level of uncertainty, and we can quantify that more and more uh, with, with our product suite. Yeah. Um, we, 
We, for example, do have probabilistic quantitative precipitation forecast uh, coming from the Weather Prediction Center. And we're now working with six local forecast offices around, around the nation to look at how we can use this in local decision making. So we're, we're testing that. And many of your listeners uh, in northern climates might be aware of our efforts with probabilistic winter uh, forecast, where we're forecasting a, uh, a, a at least this and much and, and maybe as much as this much uh, snow, snow and ice amounts uh, to kind of bound that most likely forecast. So we're, we're exploring some things. We work directly with uh, social science and communication scientists to, uh, to do focus groups for some of our emergency management and other decision makers. Uh, and we're trying to learn from these, from these efforts to, uh, to really get there in terms of how we can best use probabilistic information to inform decisions. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. Dr. Marshall Shepard, University of Georgia. And I'm talking with my colleague, Dr. Dave Novak from NOAA's Weather Prediction Center. And learning the ins and outs of how weather forecasting is done, what the role of WPC is within NOAA. And... You know, one of the things that is we were talking and you were talking in the last segment, Dave, I want to pick your brain because you mentioned winter forecasting and winter storms. And there have been a few storms over the last couple of years where they were forecast a certain way. And, you know, they may have gone 20, 30 miles east or west of the sort of sort of central tendency or the mean line. And depending on where you were living, if you were in a big city along I-95 or not, you might say, oh, well, I thought it was going to be this way. But if you're 30 miles west, it was that way. So the question I have is, are we victims of our own success to some degree? And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of times the public may not understand that, you know, a forecast is probably pretty good, even though it may have the potential for that uncertainty that you mentioned, 20 or 30 degrees on either side of the line of that nor'easter or that hurricane like an Irma, for example. So I've often sort of hypothesized that we sometimes are victims of our own success. People think we can actually do a little bit more than we can actually do without that uncertainty. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, you know, certainly I think it's really important to highlight uh, that the forecasts have improved. Um, you know, I'll relate, uh, you know, I, I get a haircut and sometimes, you know, you're chatting with the, uh, the, 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 the person and uh, uh, it comes up, I'm a weather person. And um, <laughs> well, maybe before that it doesn't, I have to make that decision of, you know, do I tell them I'm a weather person? But one of the, one of the things I always, I always highlight, um, you know, if you look at the lawn picture, I mean, when I was a kid, Wow, have we come a long way in the weather enterprise and our forecasting skill. Uh, and, and it is amazing how we brought science uh, and communication together to really serve the nation uh, and really warn people about these events. So, so if you take the, the, the big picture and the lawn picture, it is amazing how far we've come. Uh, these extreme rainfall events, we've improved 15% in the last uh, two decades. Uh, you know, hurricane track improvement is, uh, you know, reached a recent milestone of uh, almost doubling 
uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that skill, uh, and in terms of winter storm lead time, um, you know we're ninety percent of the time those winter storm warnings are correct, and they're issued at least a day in advance. So you kind of have to to ground. Sometimes I have to even remind myself and just ground myself in some of these facts of of where we're at now. The expectations are tremendous. The requirements are tremendous. You know, I think as 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 decision makers and others understand uh, the skill at which we can provide this, um, there is this. Uh, th- there's so much impact the weather has on critical decisions, and um, that makes it so much more important. And so I think part of this is we, we do have to also communicate that our forecasts uh, are not perfect. Uh, and that's why it's important for everyone to stay abreast of the latest communication in, the, in these events. Uh, we are a 24-7. Uh, and we, we will update and change the forecast as you know, new information comes in. Um, we, you know, it's such a dedicated group of, of folks uh, really throughout the weather enterprise and um, as new information comes in, we will adjust the forecast to, to make it as accurate as possible. Uh, so, so, you know, I think, I think we just have to constantly be improving the science and also understanding and, and being honest about, you know, our forecasts are not perfect, uh, but they're getting better. And here's how, you know, you can stay abreast of the, of the latest information. I think, I, I think you've said something that was extremely important that I want to put emphasis on, which is the updating of the forecast. I often will say, Dave, you know, watch the evolving forecast. And, I, and even with the snowpocalypse or whatever you want to call it that we experienced in Atlanta a few years ago, uh, that was to me a classic case where people saw the forecast maybe on Monday or whatever day it was and just said, OK, that's what it's going to be. Uh, and much of the snow is south of the city. But the models and the evolving forecast brought that snow increasingly north into the Atlanta metro area. So your point about watching the evolving forecast is so important. Let me kind of pivot now. You mentioned something about talking to the public and you said that you're working with social scientists. That seems to be a new frontier in the area of weather forecasting. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've got pretty good models now. We've got pretty solid satellites, and we'll talk about those a little bit later, and we've got great radar. But the frontier of social science, how, how is that shaping what your job and, and role at the Weather Prediction Center? Absolutely. I, it's so important that we communicate and understand how our information is is used by decision makers. You know, a perfect forecast has no value unless it's acted upon. And, you know, action is what saves lives and and, and mitigates, you know, loss and and property. So so ultimately, you know, our mission of the Weather Service is to save lives and property. What What an incredible mission. But we can't accomplish that mission if it's not acted upon. And it won't be acted upon if it's not understood and communicated in a way that that resonates. So I think um, we've we've come to terms with that. That we we do need to invest in understanding how best to display our information and how best to verbalize our information. Um, you know, we've had several projects working uh, with different focus groups on different colors, different language. Uh, it's amazing how just one label here or there can help 
a decision maker completely understand the product in a different way and the right way. So I, I think we're becoming more sensitive to uh, ensuring that we kind of have that last check of the you know, social science uh, uh, with, with new products and, and services to ensure that it is understood when it comes time for a decision maker to use that in a critical life-saving decision. Do you, do you guys keep track of how good you're doing over time? Oh, a- absolutely. Yes. Uh, in a variety of ways. Um, so, you know, many of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, the hurricane intensity and, and track uh, scores. Uh, so those, those are very, very common. Uh, we also have scores for uh, rainfall prediction, uh, for winter storm warning uh, skill, uh, tornado skill. So a whole variety of metrics and ver- it's called verification, of course, of how these forecasts uh, are, are, are verifying. Um, I think it is important for, for listeners to know that uh, every meteorologist cares so much about <laughs> verification and skill. It's, it's one of the unique things of we, we can make a forecast and then understand and kind of get that feedback of you know how that how that forecast verified, um, so whole litany of a uh, variety of different metrics on all the various weather phenomena that that address the United States. We absolutely ca- uh, uh, you know keep track of that, and like we were saying, uh, so many of those numbers are improving over time. Uh, yeah. You know, really a testament to improvements in our observations, improvements to our models improvements into how we mine information from those models and improvements of our human forecasters and how they're educated and understand the, the meteorology. So it really is this whole value chain that's uh, helping us uh, get better through time. Yeah, and I hope we can put to rest that uh, joke that every meteorologist has heard, which is it must be nice to get paid to work in a profession where we're wrong all of the time. Because clearly, as you state, and as I know, and being someone in the field, our weather forecasts are improving and they're saving lives and property as, as your mission declares. I want to kind of take out your crystal ball now, Dave, and ask you some things about the future. First, first thing I want to sort of pose to you is how far out do you think we're going to go with your forecast? Are you going to get out to 20 days? Where's the limit in your mind as far as what WPC puts out? You mentioned something about seven. Yeah. Uh, What's the limit? You know, from a, from a, a classical uh, a theoretical viewpoint, uh, you know, Ed Lorenz and, and other colleagues uh, back in the, the mid-1900s uh, really felt, we, you know, there was a limit around two weeks. And um, there's there's been a lot of discussion about that recently. I, I you know, is that is that the real uh, ultimate theoretical limit of how good we can get with some of the details of these forecasts? So I think that's an ongoing uh, discussion in, in academic circles. I will say at the Weather Prediction Center, we are currently testing days eight, nine, and ten forecast of temperature and precipitation. Uh, in our our test bed uh, that that we invest in for new science and innovation, uh, we're doing this in a probabilistic way. We, we you know as we were talking earlier, we we understand when you're out beyond a week in advance, th- there there is uncertainty, and so we you know to have a deterministic number, specific number of rainfall or temperature, 
um, we're not sure if the, the science can really support that. And so we are moving towards a probabilistic approach, um, looking and exploring that with social scientists, with our modelers uh, who are in the same building now as the, as the Weather Prediction Center. Uh, as the models get better, we really are starting to see uh, areas where even 10 days out, we're pretty confident that, uh, you know, this, an area such as uh, portions of the United States will see, you know, a heat wave, for example, or a cold wave. Um, so we're, we're exploring what kind of public and, and uh, partner products, uh, products for the public or products for our partners, um, we can provide on a daily basis that, that far out. Um, and, you know, I think we can do it in the next uh, couple of years, maybe in, in five years. It's really not that far away. Yeah. I, I, I think that another was... key aspect I'll just briefly mention, I know there's been a lot of interest and investment in subseasonal, in forecasts three weeks out or even four weeks out. Uh, that is really interesting uh, areas of work uh, where uh, trying to see if, if we can kind of uh, – uh, meld together this weather uh, world that that uh, the weather prediction center lives in and and the seasonal world um, can we can we say you know that maybe there's a heat wave uh, expected three three weeks out so these are some of the some of the areas I think from a science perspective uh, we're, we're exploring yeah it's an exciting time I always say this is really an exciting time you and I are uh, are fairly contemporaries. I think you may be a little younger than I am, but just to see how things have changed and evolved in our field. In fact, how how have things changed from your perspective in the weather service over the last decade or so, and and what's next? And uh, from the standpoint of how the National Weather Service operates, uh, what, what are you, what are you most excited about, or what what do you see coming that really catches your yeah, eye? Yeah, well, I I think the the long constant has been we are. A science and service-based organization. So both those key words. We apply science to to provide a service uh, to the nation to save lives and property. I, I mean, it really is an inspirational uh, uh, mode, uh, mission of the Weather Service that we're so dedicated on. And I, I don't think that's changed. Uh, that it was the same idea ten years ago, and it's this, it will be the same idea going forward. Um, we do have a tremendous uh, strategic challenge we've we've uh, put before ourselves as well as before uh, the enterprise, and that is building a weather-ready nation. We call it. So, so this is the idea that we really do need to con- connect these weather forecasts to critical life-saving decisions made by emergency management or uh, state and local officials, um, other other aspects. Of of the uh, of the kind of national uh, stor- uh, storm preparedness uh, framework, so this is a concept we've called uh, decision support, uh, and and more and more we're really training our workforce in terms of how to how to uh, address and draw out the critical decisions these uh, decision makers are having to make, and and adjust our language as well as the information we're providing to address those uh, critical decisions. Um, So this is getting to know those partners, getting to know their critical decisions and thresholds, and then using our meteorological expertise to provide weather information that addresses those uh, those uh, decision points. You, that that really is a fundamental change mm-hmm. in uh, how we've how we've looked at our mission in terms of extending it beyond just the forecast. 
And and I will say we've had early successes in, in using and really applying this decision support. Um, we've I really do feel it is changing the role of the emergency management community from reacting to these national disasters to proactively planning for them. The fact that six days in advance of Hurricane Irma, the governor called uh, a uh, you know presidential disaster uh, uh, applied for that and and uh, and and, and uh, state emergency there. I mean that's that's six days in advance. Right. Um, that's that's incredible, and um, you know that we are making changes in terms of applying this forecast information to decisions uh, that that really matter for you. So that's that's a real key aspect that the Weather Service is moving towards and continuing to invest in. Uh, just just one other aspect, though, I, you know, again, that that science is so key, and and of course, you, the the best decisions are made with the best information. And, and the most accurate and consistent information. And that comes from the science. The, the models are certainly improving. The observation data sets we have are certainly improving. And the technology we have uh, to, to mine that information is improving. And that helps us uh, make that very best accurate forecast for the best decisions. Yeah. yeah I mean, you've got uh, you and we in general as meteorologists have some awesome toys now with the new generation of GOES satellites, the dual polar uh, metric radars, uh, the HRRR model, just all kinds of tools. So as I've said, this is almost kind of a golden age, but now the question is how we get that technological advantage and that forecast over the hump to the consumers, which is the public, policymakers, and uh, and yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention machine learning. Uh, we've heard this in a, in a lot of different uh, avenues as, as uh, an interesting word, and you kind of learn about it. But more and more, it is kind of the big data analytics, kind of understanding uh, how the relationships between weather parameters could be viewed in a different way and, and make better predictions and mine out that signal from the noise. And I do know at the Weather Prediction Center and other centers and, and, uh, and offices, we're starting to invest in machine learning approaches to mining the model information. So that's an example of, of an area I think that will grow uh, through time as, as, we, as we get better. Well, we're, we're about to draw to a close, Dave, but I want to use this last minute or so for people to learn a little bit about who you are as a meteorologist. Where did you do your meteorological training? And give me one or two pieces of advice that you have for the younger meteorologists coming up. Yeah, I grew up in the the wonderful weather world of Minnesota. So blizzards to heat waves, uh, and and everything in between. Uh, I went to school at uh, Saint Cloud State uh, University in Minnesota. So that's uh, where I got my bachelor's, and then I moved around a lot. I I, I did my master's at uh, SUNY Albany, and then uh, worked for a while with the Weather Service in Eastern Region, and then did my PhD at uh, SUNY Stony Brook. Uh, so I'm very proud of of all those uh, different schools and and areas. But you know, one of one of the things that that I'd advise uh, uh, students and others is uh, don't be don't be afraid to take a chance. I, I often tell the the story of one of my my first jobs uh, in the weather world. I applied, I got an interview, I waited a while, I waited a long time. No word. And then finally the call came and they, they offered me the job. Guess what? I wasn't their first choice. <laughs> but if I hadn't applied, if I hadn't hunt in there, if I hadn't been you know persistent, um, 
you know, I may not have gotten it. So, and that opened, you know, opened up avenues. So, uh, take opportunities, um, take the chance, go after it. And persistence is really important uh, in, in, uh, in, in your career. And also, don't, don't forget, uh, it's not all about your career as well. Have, have some fun in life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the passion that we all exhibit is key. And whoever that wasn't their first choice was, I wish I knew who that was because Dave Novak's one of the, the top meteorologists in my field. I've, I've watched Dave's career for a while now and have always been very impressed. So was really excited when I found that we were going to have him on, on Weather Geeks here. So, Dave, thank well, you. right back at you, Marshall. Well, I appreciate it, Dave. <laughs> but thank you for joining us, and thank you for all that you and your colleagues. By the way, how many? just quick before, before we go, how many um, meteorologists are at WPC? Yeah, we have between our, our research side and our forecast side, uh, we, we have about uh, 50 uh, f- uh, federal employees. And then we also do have some other uh, industry folks that are, are helping us out as well. Okay. So, um it, it's a, I, I, I've, I'm having the, the time of my life uh, uh, leading this wonderful and incredibly dedicated team of folks to really uh, help the nation with, uh, with our weather challenges and weather storms. Well, we appreciate all that you and your colleagues here at WPC and across the National Weather Service. And with that, thank you all for joining us and listening in on Weather Geeks.